Welcome back to the Coaching Kernan Podcast Network. I'm Dave D'Agostino. I'm joined by my co-host and star of the show, Sal Marinello. This is episode 58 in total, but this is our special show, The Hot Corner with Coach Sal, the fourth rendition of this show. And uh, it's had a great response uh, the first three sessions. We're hitting on a lot of topics that we touch on during the week. And either we're not educated enough as a whole with our group outside of you to deep dive it, um, or we don't think we gave it enough attention throughout the week. So, Sal, welcome back to your show. And uh, it's good to, good to talk to you again. I feel like we haven't talked in ages, but it's only been a couple of days. Yeah, it's great. I always look forward to adding more info to the uh, to the. I guess, to the list of things we're helping people understand and, and making um, them more effective and efficient in what they're doing. Yeah, because we, we talk, obviously, we try to build better baseball IQs, but as we all know, without a healthy mind, healthy body, um, and without that fuel inside the body and the proper way of training, uh, we, we're not going to get anywhere with it. So that's where, where you certainly come in with these young ones listening, the parents listening, and then high-level coaches that are listening. So I know everybody's getting a better IQ. And, you know, you, you said you said something, uh, and I, I hope we – I know we're doing this for baseball, but, you know, I'm a big believer in multi-sport athletes. So, you know, it wasn't something we talked about. But, you know, just a quick aside, I, I would hope everybody out there with young guys and girls that are playing baseball, softball, are still involved in their other sports. There's more than ample, legit evidence that shows single-sport participation – overall is a negative and multi-sport participation is overall a positive. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a bigger story we could get into about the managing of these young athletes times. But if, if something is keeping you from being a multi-sport athlete, multi-sport athlete, then you should recon reconsider what you're doing, reevaluate what you're doing so that you can be a multi-sport athlete. I think it's a great point. I think I would say, of, I think every guest on our show, has been an advocate of that concept of multi-sport athlete. And I always bring it up in part because I believe in it. The other part, I like to kind of sideways brag about myself. But, um, you know, I was a two-sport college athlete, and I still do both sports professionally. And I, I couldn't give one up mentally or physically. It's a part of who I am and, and a part of what I like to do. I think that topic you hit on, and I think I wrote that down for next, next show, managing athletes' time. Uh, I, I think – I'm going through that as a dad and a coach right now, and I think it's a great topic to follow up on what we're going to talk about today next week. So I'm. Uh, I mean, I've been I've been coaching high school sports for over 25 years, and in that period, I had one one of our one of the outstanding athletes I've coached at the high school level was an actual legit three sport athlete, which is kind of sad because. Everyone I knew in my era, either my teammates or at local high schools that went on to play whatever the sport was at a higher level, uh, all were uh, three-sport athletes. They were all either, you know, uh, football, wrestling, track, football, basketball, baseball. You know, there were multi-sport athletes. And if you look even at the pro ranks, and I'm sure you know, Dave, you see these these women and men who are exceeding and excelling they were multi-sport athletes at the lower level. I, I think, you know, early in my career, I was very involved with tennis. And it was around the time of uh, uh, my involvement where we got these tennis players who were, who were multi-sport athletes dropping out of the other sports to commit to tennis. And it's no coincidence in the 25, 30 years since then, uh, our tennis production uh, has gone down as far as producing 
stars like we used to. So, you know, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. We'll, we'll get on that subject again, but I think it's definitely worth talking about and, and always talking about. Certainly. No, it's a point of emphasis of all of our shows and, and uh, this one is no exception to it. Well, let's say, I know you got into this, the last show about sports drinks, and I know there were a couple of things that you wanted to tie a ribbon on. Uh, kind of just throw it out there and you open the, the whole sports drink, Gatorade, Powerade, whatever the eight is. Yeah. Uh, t- t- tell, tell, tell the audience what you were, well, you were telling me about before. So in any of the research you can you know come across that has to do with supporting a nutritional uh, direction or in particular what we're talking about is sports drinks, you have to read into the details of how these studies are done and the conclusions that are derived from them. And you'll learn a lot about the the purpose of these studies. Usually they're done to come out with a preconceived outcome. The sports drinks, the, uh, the sport drink research that was used to support the idea that sports drinks were as effective or better than water was based on the fact that given the choice, young athletes were drinking more Gatorade because of the flavor, obviously, than they were drinking water. Therefore, water was not as effective because not as many athletes in these studies were drinking water. So it was kind of a cute way around the issue of, um, of really having a legitimate design to the study. It was kind of a way around it where they could say, see, sports drinks work better when in reality they worked better simply because kids chose to drink it because it tastes better. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not any better. So that's just a little buyer beware, if you want to call it, or uh, just a heads up. And, and it heads up to all research you read. There's always these little tricky um, methods they use to, to come out with uh, the kind of result they want. A little lexical ambiguity sometimes with the language that they use. If that were the case, my, my, my house and my daughter, the, the, uh, the, we, we would, candy would be better served for her than vegetables. We went based on what her choice was. So Yeah. Uh, we totally, totally get that. As far as the the drink itself, I mean, you're better off drinking what during games or it's prior? Water. It's water. And we've talked about this, I think, on the other show, whether it was mine or the, the group of experts. Food is 80% water for the most part. You know, let's, you know, individual foods might be more or less depending. But over the course of your day, food is 80% water. So if you're not eating enough, you will not be able to overcome that deficit by drinking. Um, or it makes it that much more difficult. So, you know, that's an important component to this hydration equation is how much food you're eating. Uh, you know, typically the times we've had problems with young athletes was in the summer or early morning um, practices where kids are probably not eating before. Maybe they are, have under eaten over the course of time and uh, they've also not had enough water. So they come in in the morning and they're already depleted before they even go out to the field. You know, some of the cases we've had with kids personally that I've had, that was the kind of profile. Early practice, you know, you ask them what they ate. They had nothing for breakfast. What was dinner? I had a hamburger and French fries. Did you drink water? No. You know, so it's all those things that really conspire to create the issue with lack of hydration. And I think I've mentioned this before, Dave, but it's important to note that most high-level athletes function in a state of dehydration. You know, dehydration itself is a necessary uh, outcome of competition. So, you know, there is a certain range of dehydration that's acceptable, and it's actually a pretty wide range. Uh, this concept that we're having 
um, massive problems with heat stroke and dehydration and uh, cramping from dehydration is over is being oversold. Is there is there a can you be overhydrated? Yeah, and you know I'm glad you brought that up because there's a great book I recommend everybody read. It's called Waterlogged by Dr. Tim Noakes, and he goes into the detail that more people have had serious health problems and died from overhydration versus uh, being dehydrated. And I'll give you a, I would recommend it highly. It's called Waterlogged. Tim Noakes, and the book opens with the story of a woman, young woman, who actually died from overhydration from running the Boston Marathon. And he goes into great length to chronicle, and there is uh, study after study that he references that backs up this position, that it's, it's hyponatremia, it's called, that mimics in some ways the symptoms of dehydration, and it's very sad, but... Uh, I'll, I'll give you this little tidbit. There were people, there was recreational athletes that had these problems. They were weighing more at the end of the Boston Marathon than they were at the beginning. They were drinking so much water. So, wow. uh, yeah, so th- there is certainly more problems that are going to come for the most part from overhydration rather than dehydration. Yeah, it, it's uh, it, it's something I see these kids when they're playing, these young kids. I go watch my children play and even when I coach. They're so uh, it's 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 an overemphasized part of whatever they're doing where they're they're sucking down these these containers they have. It's almost like they were going to be stranded on a desert island for a week. Yeah, um, with the amount of water they have. So I think that's important. I think this is important for our parents listening too. Um, what about? And we didn't talk about this before the show, but I remember as a as a college coach, I was a young head coach at the Division One level. Probably overdid a lot of things. One of the things I did when the kids came in is. I always wanted to know what tests they had that day because where their minds were. Um, I wanted to weigh them to make sure that they were maintaining their weight. Not so much that I wanted them to lose weight, but just nobody was, you know, dropping weight because they weren't any. But the other thing I looked at was sleep, how much sleep they were getting. Uh, I, we didn't prep for this for today at all, but how, how big a component, how much do you see that with these young athletes, lack of sleep or lack of good sleep? Oh, sleep, you know, you could make the case I'm not – to the point where I believe it, but we're sleep deprived as a nation. You know, I think a lot of this with the kids, especially there was a period of time where schools were starting at seven fifteen, seven twenty. you know, and, and um, kids were not getting their requisite sleep eight hours plus, you know, there's a, a huge uh, ream of legit research that you could look up about the lack of sleep and how it affects learning and how it affects long-term memory and how it affects everything, whether you're a kid or an adult. Uh, book is called Why We Sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker. That's another book uh, that should be on every person's must-read list, whether you're an athlete or not. Uh, it tells you um, precisely how your body fails when you have lack of sufficient sleep. One of the things that's amazing is lack of sleep for a couple of nights um, really the next in the second or third day results in uh, a driving reaction time that's similar to being drunk. That would be on the low end of your legally drunk. Uh, I, I, off the top of my head, I forget the, uh, I, th- I think it was something like three days of six hours a day of sleep. Um, so it's why we sleep by Dr. Matthew Walker. I believe he was also on the Joe Rogan podcast at one point too, but it's, it's a must read book. I like that. I'm going to do that because I'm now obsessed with that because I, same thing you, I, 
I think I deprived myself of sleep for 20 plus years as a college coach. And uh, you can't get that time, but you cannot, it's not something that you can get back. You and, can't recover from that. Yeah. And, um, you know, one of the things we've talked about, I talk about with my colleagues is these early morning workouts, which I think are detrimental. Uh, the body is not meant to get up and have an early pre-dawn 7 a.m. heavy duty workout. Um, no competitions are at that time. Now, I'm not talking about if you're you know, you're going to travel seven time zones to compete in an international match or meet someplace. You have to then get your body on that rhythm. I'm talking about United States high school, college athlete in the weight room on the field at seven in the morning for a workout. It's just bad uh, for the body. It our, our, um, our, our hormonal cycles don't operate that way. You're not sleeping. You're not going to get the right sleep, and you're not going to be at your best. And over over time, that becomes a detriment. Um, one of the things I will say, you know, we joke as we get older, especially men, that they can't sleep through the night without having to get up to go to the bathroom. But one of the things I learned from that sleep book is that part of the problem with that is when you're not sleeping and getting that third that third level of REM sleep. Um, you don't, your body doesn't go into that state where all your functions slow down. And if you're finding yourself constantly getting up at 4 or 5 a.m. to go to the bathroom, it's probably a pretty good reflection of you're not getting into that level of REM sleep that's necessary for you to be truly recovered and rested. Well, that's a good point. I'm going to, I'm going to get several texts. I think on that early morning practice, uh, I did that with all my teams. So I'm going to get a lot of texts from former players based on, what you're telling them. They, they, they told me that way back then, but I think it was for other reasons. They wanted to yeah. sleep in. But I like that point with the sleep. Um, you, we had talked about kind of, kind of sh- shifting uh, to a topic we had prepped for before the show, the phrase embrace the grind. We both hate it. Um, and uh, it's way too commonly used out there and accepted. Kind of, kind of riff on that. What's your thoughts on that whole embrace the grind mentality? You know, it almost it reminds me a little bit of 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 coaches who use legitimate means of conditioning as a punishment. You know, we're we're trying to associate, make positive associations between our preparation and our conditioning, however you want to refer to it. And at the same time, you know, you're you're either making a drudgery and saying that's part of this uh, process, or you're going to punish a guy for or a girl for something they did in a practice or in a workout by making them do more of what we're telling them is good. Um, you know, it's like the old joke about the dog goes to the bathroom in the house and you stick his nose in it. The dog's like, yeah, I know what it is. You know, they don't understand that it's wrong. And I think it's building up a negative, a negative association. And and we've talked about this on one of the shows. I had a, I believe it was coach Radcliffe used to say, or it might be coach Winkler who was a track coach uh, out of Illinois uh, you want them to leave practice the way you want them to show up the next day. So if you're constantly beating them up and and making it this grind and that this grind is necessarily necessary, you're making it a joyless experience. And I think it's contributing, Dave, to our injury issues that are off the chart and our burnout issues, which we're seeing in a at a bunch of levels with male, female athletes, you know, deciding they don't want to play once they're in high school, they don't want to play in college or getting to college and just backing out because they can't keep it up. Do you see that more now? I mean, I, I couldn't imagine, and I, I think I worked as hard as anybody or 
know, we all like to think we worked harder. I look back on my workouts and I think, honestly, I shortened my professional playing career. Not to say I would have been playing for 10, 20 years, but when I finished playing, I was done. And I played for three seasons. Um, but I played two college sports and I worked hard. I'm not quite sure I worked smart. So I would probably have been guilty of this without phrasing and embrace the grind. I overworked myself. Do you see more kids uh, quitting sports today? Because, I mean, we mentioned athletes schedule. These young kids are playing year-round. you think that's part of it? Yes. Uh, I've had numerous guys I know that work with uh, athletes in basketball, lacrosse, baseball, super competitive club sport environments that come into their senior, you know, summer before their senior year, and they're like, yeah, coach, I'm I'm not going to, you know, I had, uh, I'm not going to continue. I had a, a kid I coached in high school who played lacrosse at the University of North Carolina, one of the best athletes you'll ever see, works with kids. He's working in, out of North Carolina, works with a lot of athletes. He had two kids who were going to have a good shot to go and play at UNC, which really is a dream for most kids who play lacrosse. For those of you who aren't familiar, you know, UNC, well, if you're a baseball fan, you know, that's a, a, a you know, a great place to be in general. But lacrosse, it's one of the pinnacle, you know, programs that they just were like, yeah, coach, we're just going to play our high school senior year. We don't we don't want to play in college. I mean, and it happens. It's happening over and over. And I think it's also happening via injury, which is leading kids to back out, too. I think that's resulting. Uh, that's another result of this grind mentality. And what, what, what the injuries you're talking about, that's just overuse, abuse. It could be, you know, it could be all it's all of the above, Dave. You have these, you know, you have these chronic hamstring back, you know, groin injuries. You have the, the obvious, you know, traumatic, traumatic, you know, black swan injury of the ACL um, that changes everybody's life. You know, no matter, you know, that's one of the other things we could talk about. You know, the, the concept that, you know, you're back to normal um, in six months or eight months is just such garbage that's been uh, pushed out there that uh, we could do a whole other show on that. You know, if you've really worked with an athlete who's gone through an ACL, I've worked with more than my fair share, plus my son uh, had that experience. Uh, anyone who thinks that it's a simple matter of a surgery is is fooling themselves. Uh, talk about that a little bit, because you've had personal experience, obviously, with your son. He's back playing at a high level right now. Once the surgery is over, what's realistic? Because he's, like you said, these kids are having these injuries you would see these as a dime a dozen, you know, 20, 25 years ago, but they'd happen at later stages of life. These kids are having ACL knee surgeries in their teenage years now. Yeah. Uh, once that happens, and I'm sure we have people in the audience that have had this happen to them. What's realistic? What's, what is a realistic timetable? Well, I think we're, we're dealing with a bunch of problems here. You have the, you have the, the pro level athlete who's being pushed back into competition because it's an economic factor here. And, and they're doing the same thing with the high school kid who has their life in front of them. So I, I, you know, I think, you know, it's great that you could get your kid back and maybe he's not going to miss a season, but you know, at the end of the day, what's that going to do to the rest of his life? Um, I I have a little bit of a trivia question for you, Dave. There is a, a hall of fame NFL player who played his entire career without an ACL. Do you know who that could be? Without an ACL? Yes, sir. Oof. For uh, his ACL in high school, never had it repaired, is a Hall of Famer. In the NFL. I'm going to uh, 
I'm not saying I don't know. Wait, give me a position. Give me a position. Yeah, I'll quarterback. Quarterback. Um, let's see. Dan Marino? Uh, it was John Elway. Really? John Elway tore his ACL in high school. The uh, procedure that they still use today was just put into practice around that time. His father, who was a football guy, yeah. said, you know what? We're not going to take a chance. You're going to brace that knee, and we're going to brace it and rehab it. That's why he always played with the brace on his knee. So, uh-huh. you know, you've got um, – you, you've got some alternatives that haven't been done. I'm not, and I'm not claiming, you know, that's what we should do now, but I'm saying, you know, we're pushing kids back too soon. And you know what? The best predictor of future injury is past injury. So for as much as I would hate to say it because it's my son, if a coach is going to be looking at two athletes to recruit and it's down to the issue of uh, who's had the major injury uh, versus who hasn't, I'm not taking the kid with the major injury. Any of you fans out there, who follow your draft uh, picks of your team, whether it's whatever the sport is, if you've had a Tommy John or if you've had an ACL in another sport, even, you know, if you've had that severe ankle problem, um, uh, severe ankle injuries are over, you know, overlooked. Those are very big indicators of trouble down the road. So, you know, I could point to football too, but, you know, baseball, the Tommy John, that's the other bill of goods people are being sold that you get that surgery and you're good as new. There was even the nonsense floating around for a while that you were going to throw, you know, faster because of it. Well, you hear the unfortunate communication with in the grassroots area where people are already anticipating their first Tommy John, talking about their, you know, life after their first Tommy John. So yeah. it's, it's unfortunately become acceptable. I did get the right draft, though. I got uh, I, I I said uh, Marino. That was the same draft. Actually, they had the same agent, Marino and Elway. So there you it's go. Close, I guess close. So that makes me feel better. Yeah, that's good. Um, so closing out here, we, we've, we've had our audience here for, for a little bit, close out with us today. What, what kind of message you want to leave our audience with today? Well, I, I just, you know, I, I don't know if this is to the coaches or to the, you know, athletes, cause you know, hopefully we could touch on all of that, but you have to make the process of preparing for your sport. It has to be enjoyable. You know, we've talked about this, you know, how do you get kids to follow the program that you want them to do to get into shape for the season? They have to want to do it. You know, they have to enjoy it. Think any of you out there, think back to the classes you had in school where it was boring and you hated the the subject matter because of how the teacher handled it versus the class that you couldn't wait to go to. You know, I was not Mr. Student, but, you know, I really enjoyed um, the classes where the teacher was challenging and fun and fair. I mean, and that's the same thing with sport. I think we've turned it into this mini professional, uh, uh, preparation program instead of just like having fun and developing as a person. I couldn't agree with you more. We, a phrase that we always use with, with our, our children, but the kids we coach is whatever pressures you have, wherever it's coming from internal, your parents, whoever, don't let that pressure outweigh the pleasure of what you're doing. Um, if you have fun doing it, chances are you're going to keep doing it. And the, the issue with the whole fun thing that I find is that in this era of, uh, lack of competitiveness, let's say we're, we're playing more, but I think people are that whole, uh, everybody gets a trophy mentality. People have made fun and winning mutually exclusive where if you win, you can't have fun, but if you have fun, that means it's okay to lose. And I, I never understood that. Um, right. And I, I certainly challenge that, but, um, Sal, tell, 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 tell our audience how they can reach you. Sal, tremendous speaker. 
uh, is tremendous in terms of development, physical, mental. He's worked with a number of athletes that, that, uh, that I've talked with and, and introduced to him. And I mean, everything has been, I, I can't do him justice describing what, what kind of job he does, but uh, how can our audience reach you for speaking, for uh, training, for, for questions and just general knowledge? Rob, you can get me at uh, CoachSalM at ProtonMail.com and uh, follow me on Twitter at, at SalMarinello. I also have a Substack at uh, that's at CoachSalM. Great. And I started looking at that Substack. Great stuff to do it. And, you know, we'll get into some of these other topics we mentioned. I always keep a column on the right because by the end of your sessions, I have about 20 extra topics to cover. <laughs> but I'd love to get into sleep. If our audience is interested in that, let us know. Uh, managing athletes times another one, single athlete versus multiple sports. So some things to throw out for next week just to tease the audience. But make sure you tune in to Sal. Uh, we, we try to record him every Friday and get it out either Friday or Saturday. So tune in. Make sure you, you download his episodes, like them, give comments on it. The more traction we get, the more we can continue to provide you with this material. So, uh, Sal, thanks for the show. Great, great episode as usual, and we appreciate the time you put into it. Thanks, Dave. Look forward to next week. Okay. I'll talk to you next week and have a great weekend, guys.